You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hello and welcome to Rochast, the flagship podcast of the Apple Car. <laughs> In that it, we spent a lot of money and it doesn't exist. <laughs> It's the Rochecast, everybody. <laughs> $10 billion in a decade later, and we have more to show for it than Apple does with the car project. We did it. Uh, I'm your friend, Eli. David Pierce is here. Hi. We're in the studio. This is we're, very exciting. Dave and I are together, uh, like the San Cable News. Alex Kranz is off this week. That's what they say. That's all yeah, the time. That's, that's good. Just, that's that's like just it. the thing they say. You know how to explain it? No further explanation given. <laughs> no, Alex is, uh, should we say it? She's sick. She's sick. Yeah. She'll be okay. Yeah. Send Maybe. Alex nice vibes. And yeah. emails. Happy vibes, Alex. Uh, but Lauren Finer, our new policy reporter, is going to join us uh, in the second segment to talk about the Supreme Court hearing parade of justice <laughs> about uh, free speech on the internet, mm-hmm. which is one of, you know, that's what you come to the show what for. What does gadgets, YouTube weigh, Neelai? How much does YouTube weigh? <laughs> <laughs> it's a real thing that came up. Uh-huh. Uh, we'll get to that. But we should start with news, the yes. news of the week. Which is Apple killed their car project. After so many almosts and kind ofs and false starts and what, like almost exactly a decade of work, mm-hmm. right? So it was it was going to be a car kind of like Tesla, and then it was going to be a self-driving car kind of like Waymo, and then I think it was going to be a car kind of like a Tesla again, and now it's going to be nothing. Oh, there, there are three more twists. Were there more? I'm sure there were. Uh, then they were going to focus on making the software for other cars. Oh, right. That was a that was a weird twist in mm-hmm. there. Then they were going to buy the platform, for, like an EV platform from Hyundai, and put Apple stuff on top of that. And Hyundai would turn into Foxconn. And Hyundai was like, no, oh, we are right. a car maker. <laughs> we, no, don't do that to us. Yeah. Uh, then Foxconn was like, we're going to build cars. <laughs> Foxconn. Uh, there are like at least 10 more twists and turns in there. Yeah. I mean, it's really fascinating, though, because I think if you rewind 10 years ago to when this was going to happen, it was the moment that everybody was saying all cars will be self-driving and the world will have completely changed and everything will be on the road by like 2020. Yeah. And that was that people earnestly believed that like Uber was saying that Lyft was saying that all the car companies were saying that Elon Musk was saying that there was this certainty that by 2020, the whole idea of owning a car was going to have disappeared and there were going to be fleets of robots roaming the streets everywhere. Yeah. And that just could not be further from the truth <laughs> at this particular there moment. There are in some time. robots 
roaming the streets of San Francisco. There are a few robots. Well, uh, Andy Hawkins, who wrote a couple of great pieces about this this week, made the point that um, it's actually not that hard at this moment in time to strap a camera to the top of a Toyota Highlander <laughs> and put it on the roads. And that's true. But it's, it is such a fascinating like counterfactual of history. Mm-hmm. If it had gone differently and we had solved kind of those core tenets of self-driving technology... Would Apple have released a car? What would it have been? Mostly, I'm just sad that we don't get to see the thing that Apple was building. Like, I feel like Apple. We should back up because I really want to talk about what Apple may or may not have been building for quite a long time. Yes, but (laughs) the the thing we're talking about was Apple sent out a memo to its employees, just saying we're shutting down the car project, and those employees will be moved to to generative AI. I believe two thousand employees, Uh, which is the number that was reported. And that project has been both bigger and smaller than that over right. time. Um, they've been working on this for 10 years. It's one of the worst kept secrets in Silicon Valley. There are Apple cars just driving mm-hmm. the streets, collecting training data, you might call it. Well, we should say there are Apple-owned cars yeah. doing that. They are not Apple cars. Uh, but Apple then, doesn't do Toyota what is an Apple car? by the way. They buy Lexuses. Oh, you're right. That's true. <laughs> I just want to put that Fancy Highlanders. <laughs> do fancier Highlanders yeah. than, than your average uh, self-driving car company. So th- the project started in the moment David is describing, which is Apple needed its next big thing, mm-hmm. and Apple-sized markets are hard to come by, so they... It was healthcare and cars are right. the next things that can like move the needle on Apple's revenue, and they decided healthcare. They do a bunch of watch stuff, and then cars always seemed like a lark. Like to me, it always seemed like, "What are you doing?" Okay, but it has been ten years of people coming and going from that division of Apple called Project Titan. Mm-hmm. And this last turn. They took Kevin Lynch, who ran the watch, and said, you're in charge of it. And I think he was like, well, what <laughs> this if I is not? Nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, what if I don't do this? Yeah. Well, and I think it's, it, Kevin Lynch being the one in charge is a funny example because he launched the Apple Watch mm-hmm. uh, and was very much the one who spearheaded that project. And to his credit, was also a big part of how Apple discovered what the Apple Watch was. Yeah. Right? Like, as we've talked about many times in the show— the Apple Watch was made because Apple wanted to make a watch. Like it, that was the beginning of the story. Johnny Ive was like, "What if watch?" And that's how it started. And so Apple over time figured out what it could be, what it should be, how it could work, who it would be for, and it has worked. Like kudos to that team. They they got there. They figured it out. And my assumption is that the car is sort of the same way. Where like you're saying, Apple looked around and said, "Okay, what's a huge market? Oh, cars. Let's make a car." And then at some point somebody had to sit down and go, "What do we do? What is that? So there's a story that comes up over and over again. It's in some of the reporting today in the Times. Uh, we had Trip Mickle on the show mm-hmm. a while back. It was in his book about Apple and just sort of the fight between Tim Cook and Johnny Ive in the post-Jobs era. And the story has come up several times now. Uh, Johnny Ive built a model of a car with no steering wheel, and he sat Tim Cook down in it, and they pretended they were on a drive while an actor – this is true – an actor – pretended to be Siri and pretended to talk to them as they went on their pretend And tell them, like, together. the name of restaurants that they were going by and stuff like that. It was supposed to be... That was the interface for the car, was Siri, which is terrifying. I just want everyone to sit with that <laughs> for a minute and imagine... Like, these... When you think about Tim Cook, imagine him going on a pretend car ride with Johnny Ive. It really is the most... does pretend Siri. It's the most, like... 
CES vaporware demo from a company in China you've never heard of and will never hear from again thing yeah. that I've ever heard. But it's also like, does Johnny Ive not think Tim Cook has any power of imagination? <laughs> because I could be like, here's what it's going to be like. You're going to sit in the car, it's going to drive around, seriously, yeah. talk to you. And I don't need that acted out for me. <laughs> like, I think I get it. It doesn't like, help to have an actor go, that's a Dwayne Reed. <laughs> Like I don't even like it's in the mind's eye, you know. I got yeah. it. I just close your eyes. Everybody, pull over your cars. Imagine your car's <laughs> driving itself. And like, man, serious, like there's a hospital. Like that's all you need to do. Uh-huh. I I think about that moment all the time. It's like does Johnny? I think Tim Cook can't imagine the most basic thing you can imagine about a self-driving car. <laughs> there are seats. <laughs> The end. <laughs> I made a beautiful chair for you. Sit yeah. in it and pretend it's a car. Uh, so that demo apparently convinced them that this is the future of the car, mm-hmm. and they wanted to do the big thing, which is self-driving Siri car, right? No steering wheel, which is I think like that's the Apple level innovation leap. Yes, and I think at that time that's where if you're Apple, you say, okay, there is a thing we can do. That is different, right? Because yeah. if, if if you're Apple and you're just saying, "Oh, let's make a pretty good SUV," like that, that's not what Apple does. But if you believed, as they did at that time, that in a decade the whole way we experience cars would be different, you can see how you would talk yourself into, "Oh, it's just going to be screens you sit in <laughs> instead of screens." Seriously, yeah. like and we it's, can take thirty percent of those screens exactly. Too. Like literally, yeah. it's like the services business in a car is going to be nuts someday. Uh, and by the way, all the car makers believe this. This yeah. is why GM took CarPlay out of its cars. Like down the line, the idea that you will roll around in a shopping mall, it, the, everyone's very excited about this. A hundred percent. And I feel like the tension has been there has been this incredible sort of whipsawing hype around self driving, and. It seems like whipsawing strategy inside of Apple as a result. And every once in a while, they've just been like, oh, crap, that's not going to work. We should just build a car. And then somebody's like, why the hell are we just building a car? And then somebody else is like, but what if it drove itself? And they're like, we're back, baby. <laughs> just hire 2,000 engineers. Yeah, that part, that's the other turn that I think is interesting. There's all these rumors they tried to buy Tesla. They mm-hmm. investigated it. I think Elon has like said things that Apple has denied over the course of the past decade. About well, there was some reporting around this that Elon uh, Elon and Tim Cook did have some conversation about it. Um, Apple wasn't interested, and also Elon would only do it if he was made the CEO of Apple, which is just an incredible... Great. I have no idea. It, like, A, perfectly in character for Elon Musk. <laughs> B, I have no idea if it's true, but I, yeah. I am choosing to believe that that That's is... A very, it's a very truthy. Yeah. You know, it just feels good it does to feel rattle good. that... What is true is that Johnny Ive sat Tim Cook down <laughs> in a pretend car, and they went on a pretend ride, which I just will never, like, that's when you know, like, Tim Cook should be like, so this is your ride? No, we're not doing yeah. this. And it wasn't even a car, it was like a couch, yeah. by all, it was just, it was just it's a very, It's just very good. I just yeah. want everyone, it's fine, I, I want you to use your imagination <laughs> to imagine them using their imaginations. Just think about it. Uh do you think there was like fake wind? <laughs> I can't stop thinking about this. Was somebody scrolling also, a picture? Like these are them? not, I would say, mirthful personalities. Like they were taking all this very seriously. Oh yeah, these are two very serious people. It just, it just imagine it. Just like <laughs> I don't know. Like act it out with your friends. <laughs> See if you can even get through it. <laughs> I can't get over it. Uh, okay, so then you got. We should buy Tesla. We can't do self-driving technologies there. We should just build a car. And this is when you were like, what does it look like? I cannot stop thinking about the moments 
when Apple was like, okay, what does a car look like? Because a car in the United States at this point in time looks like a mid-sized crossover. Yes. Arguably the least design forward shape for a car. Yeah. Like, here's a shoe. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just a Subaru. Like, yeah. all cars are Subarus now. <laughs> That's just what it is. It's like, old Toyotas are angry robot Subarus. Mm-hmm. New Toyotas are sort yeah. of like mean fish Subarus. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's yeah. all the same. Slightly racy Subarus. Yeah. Slightly tall Subarus. It's just Subarus <laughs> all the way down, man. And so the idea that Apple's going to, like, deliver a hot-looking mid-sized crossover right. is very funny. Yes. Like, very funny. Like, mid-sized crossovers look so much the same that the new Ferrari SUV looks almost exactly like a Buick. Like, there are there is yeah. a new Buick that looks... Almost exactly like a Ferrari that looks almost exactly like a Mazda. And it's like Apple entering this market and being like, design, everyone. Well, and to some extent, that is the result of literal decades of work from these companies. And again, some of the reporting around this has been that Apple basically infuriated everybody who came to work on the car because it said, we're not doing anything the way the car industry has done things. We're going to you know, operate from first principles, oh, God. which you can imagine means there's a meeting run by Johnny Ive where he's like, what if the wheels weren't round? <laughs> Just as like a thought experiment. <laughs> what other shape could a wheel no, be? No, it's Johnny Ive. He'd be like, the answer must be so simple. It seems obvious. And everyone's like, round <laughs> wheels, dude. <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah. It's like, what if it just hovers? And they're like, no, Johnny, that's not it. But And, and, and so from all the way down, it's like, this is what Tesla experienced too. Like it yeah. turns out there aren't actually all that many ways to make a car. And you can you can litigate forever whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, the way the regulation works, the way the industry works, the ec- economies of scale, like there aren't that many ways to make a car. Uh, and if you try to get weird with it, you make a Cybertruck. There's that. But Apple basically tried to do a thing that I think it just couldn't do. And again, I wish we had gotten to see what it would look like. I think There's some someone at reporting. Apple is res- it, it is their moral responsibility to just like post the slide deck, oh, post the keynote file, show me showing some. the designs. So there is a little bit of reporting in the Times today. There's actually a lot of great sentences in the Times piece, but there's the Mr. I, but this paragraph jumped out. Mr. Ive and his team of designers drew concepts for a car that would look like a European minivan, such as the Fiat Multiplus 600, which has half a dozen windows and a curving roof. It had no steering wheel and would be controlled by Apple's virtual assistant Siri. So it was a minivan. It was they made <laughs> With a no bus. steering wheel. <laughs> yeah, and there was some reporting in there that one of the like big innovative things they were gonna do is put a, a polymer on the sunroof so that you didn't get heat in the sunroof. And it's like that is the extent to which you are allowed to innovate in cars, is polymers on the sunroof, right? Like otherwise, we pretty much did it. For what cars are for now, we've pretty for, much done it. Can I just point out the fiat? 600 multiplot uh, looks exactly like a VW bus. Like, it is the most Johnny Ive thing to be like, so it's a VW bus, but we picked a weirder Fiat version of it. <laughs> it's a European one. <laughs> so it's the VW bus. <laughs> no, no, it's a Fiat this time. Uh, all of that is just the silliest to me. Yes. And I think Apple, the reality of what a car is to people, like Apple is full of car nerds. Like, Eddie Q is on the board of Ferrari. Mm-hmm. I think Aston Martin has the new version of Car Planet. Because Phil Schiller just like went there and was like, "Look, I own so many of these. (laughs) (laughs) Just like let's let's make it happen." Yeah, and Um, Johnny Ive was a big car guy. Like it's it is it is very much in the DNA of that company to love cars. Yeah, 
Wasn't it Jobs who got the like the new Mercedes every six months so that he didn't have to have a license plate? Yes. Uh, that's yeah, good. like that's the make a car without a license plate, <laughs> Apple. Like there, there it is. We did it. Uh, but that's like I, I keep coming around to this question of was this ever going to work? It is so for Apple a backwards way of making great products, which is just like we found a huge market. Let's go do something there. Yeah. But I do also think if you if you twist the world a little differently and self-driving technology is much further along and the regulation is much further along and we're doing better at all of that. I think it's not crazy to imagine that at some point we are due for a big reinvention of what a car is. But also, I just again, I'm just going to I want to come back to this. Johnny Ive set Tim Cook down <laughs> in 2015 yeah. in a fake car and said what I'd like to do is build a $100,000 bus <laughs> with no steering wheel and they were like let's spend 10 years on this. And that is it's that's not just backwards, right? That's like we're not even gonna move the market to like we're not even gonna move enough units to make revenue to make this worth right. it in the I end. mean, we just talked the other week on the show about the fact that the market for hundred thousand dollar SUVs turns out to not be yeah. huge. And it's hurting a lot of companies because everyone who wants a hundred thousand dollar electric SUV already got one and there yeah. aren't very many of them. They're doing dumb stuff in their Hummers and yeah, exactly. They're not gonna buy they are not gonna buy a bus. No, and the the real market for cars is coming down, weighed it back down to earth, and to operate at scale. I think you do to sell a hundred thousand dollar car if you're Apple, you do need it to drive itself. So then you yeah. can't get it to drive itself, and now you got to make a fifty thousand dollar car or seventy thousand dollar car, and now you are in just some of the most overheated territory that exists in cars. You're up against luxury. You're up against BMW and Mercedes, mm-hmm. and Audi, like all those companies, uh, Lexus. You got your own self-driving Lexuses already. Yeah. Like, if you're Apple and you have a self-driving Lexus, you have to be like, "Can we make something better than the Lexus right, like, we put a we camera on?" Do it already. <laughs> yeah, like, you could just buy. Apple could just buy Lexuses, put an Apple logo on them, and resell the Lexus and Apple car. And that I think is like a real problem for them. Yeah. The thing that I keep coming back to that same moment ten years ago, uh, that is when like the height of their weird TV ambitions. Mm-hmm. Like, well, it was, it was really when Johnny was feeling himself the most. It was like peak Johnny Ive in terms of just yeah. having insane ideas about what everything should be. And some of those things were the butterfly keyboard and some of those things were the Apple Watch. And it just like Apple had a real weird moment for a couple of years there because Johnny Ive was both kind of disengaging and just sort of lobbing insane ideas into Apple's design yeah. studio at all well, times. Well, this is, I and believe. And this was the most expensive one, I think. I believe. This is has this moment has been described is when Apple thought it was a fashion company. Mm, interesting, right? And yeah, they, they had hired a bunch of fashion executives, and the sort of like computer nerds were like, "You should make the MacBooks thicker and work well." And they're like, "What if they had no ports?" Right. And we sold <laughs> right. all the ports back to you with thirty nine dollars <laughs> a piece, and the the keyboards didn't work. Oh, also, we're gonna make the phones so thin that the, they have no battery life, huh? And like that fashion conception of the company was was real. Like that oh, yeah. was a real thing that happened at Apple. And this turn lately from the company is much more like we make computers. Like we make so much computers, we made a face computer. Like it's the most. Yeah. Co- There's nothing fashion about the Vision Pro, except that it looks like a pair of expensive ski goggles. But I don't think that is fashion in the way. That no. <laughs> the 2015 Apple would have thought about it as fashion. Right. Hermes is not making one of those for you anytime soon. That would be incredible. (laughs) We did. There was a a tweet today of a man who wore the Vision Pro to his wedding. Uh, Oh, wow. V-Song showed it to me. And and the the bride is just like, 
what are you doing? <laughs> That's love right there. That is love. <laughs> the look on her face. Wow. It's very, it's exactly what you'd expect. You um, could read his vows, though. They'd be right there, right in front of you. Oh, my God. That would be so That's what I'm saying. You could have it on a window. <laughs> look at her. Look at the vows. She can see her eyes, the googly eyes. <laughs> I'm in on this. Don't do this. I don't know. <laughs> don't do this. If you're listening to this, David is joking, and he's proposing a bad idea. <laughs> That's not an instruction. Uh, that 2015 Apple, the, the weird fashion Apple, I, the thing that was happening like right next in the company at the same time was they were they were still trying to make good on this promise that Steve Jobs had figured out the TV. Right. And so like the thought experiment I've been thinking about since reading about the car getting shut down, it's like, what if they just made a TV? Mm. What if they put all those resources at a television? Right. What if they were just like, it's a great TV and it has a built-in cable service and you're going to pay us a monthly fee to have the sickest TV in your house. And like, and it probably would have uh, taken all the market share from the high end of the TV industry because that's what Apple does. Mm -hmm. And they would have had a business, like a real business, selling the well, thing that people like. And ironically, in the same way that the self-driving car world has not gone the direction Apple expected, the TV world has gone exactly the way you would want it to if you're Apple. Yeah. Like TVs are a services business. TVs are sort of slowly inching towards becoming the center of a smart home, which we know Apple is very interested in. TVs are are a hub device for lots of other devices. Like in a way, it actually makes more sense today for Apple to try to build a television than it ever has in the past, both for Apple's business and just like the world. Yeah. And it is really interesting to think like what if they had spent $10 million trying to build the greatest TV the world has ever known? Instead of trying to build a car that actually I don't think there was ever really going to be any real demand for anyway. <laughs> uh, well, so you know the arguments against TV at that time uh, were the TV upgrade cycles are too long mm -hmm. and the margins are too low. Right. And it's like w those are good arguments at the time. Now it's like, yo, do you know how long the iPad upgrade cycle is? 1,000 years. <laughs> yeah. like, no one upgrades and they're like, I have an iPad. It does the three apps I need. Sometimes I can circle mm -hmm. things. I'm going to have this iPad. Until My mom is finally hitting the point where some of her apps won't update on her Ooh. iPad. So she's starting to think about it. And I was like, OK, how old do you think it is? She was like, I don't know, like it's probably like four years old, eight and a half years old. Her <laughs> iPad. And it's just now to the point where she's like, it's been a little slow for a while. Yeah. But now there's actually a handful of things I can't do. And I was like, honestly, the fact that you just made it eight and a half years without even really thinking about it on this device is pretty. Yeah, that's a credit to Apple, right? Yeah, they, absolutely. They do the software updates. So the, the things last like all credit to them. But that's very funny. Yeah. That they were so worried. They, this is a reason not to do TV. And now it's like people hold on to their phones for a million years. They hold on to iPads. For, and all of their revenue is services. Yep. Uh, and it's like, oh, you could have just had that business. This whole time you could have had that business instead of allowing, I don't know, Roku to become a huge competitor. Right. Instead of allowing Amazon to be the number one provider of cheap TVs to everybody. So they and the ad business on TV is booming, which Apple has been perpetually interested in building a real ad business. Like, it's kind of... It's, all it's just very there. funny to yeah. me to be like, they all the reasons they didn't do a TV were like worse reasons to not do something than all the reasons they should not have made a car. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, I'm sure people are going to laugh at us that we started talking about the car and we ended up with Apple should make a TV. I think Apple should make a TV, but they should have done it a million years ago right. in, instead of this thing, which some of the reporting here is fascinating that one of the reasons they had the car project was because the engineers were bored after doing the watch. One of the next big thing, and Tim Cook didn't want them to go to Tesla. Right. And it's like, well, if you got a bunch of engineers and you're like, do a fake car, 
Like, you haven't accomplished anything. <laughs> Build me a thing, Johnny, and I can sit in. <laughs> yeah, it's like, there's no, you literally, now at this point, have not accomplished anything. Right. But even at the time, it's like, all we, all, we're spending money and you not going to Tesla is a weird, there's a weird logic in there. Yeah. Because it's not like they were, they were working on the iPhone the whole time. They were working right. on a car that wasn't shipping. Right. Well, I also, I, I wonder how much the part of the story that is all these folks being moved to generative AI is actually about just sort of being smart about resources in a complicated time in the economy. I would believe that in almost every case that it actually makes more sense for Apple to have its highly paid employees working on a thing that everyone agrees is going to be a gigantic growth industry in a lot of ways mm -hmm. in the next decade versus kind of continuing on this lark. But it's Apple. Like Apple can afford to do both those things at the same time if it wanted to. So it does mean that at some point there was someone within Apple who was just like, it's time to call this. Yeah, I think that person was Tim Cook. I think you're probably right. I think he's like, I'm no closer to this couch moving <laughs> than I was before. And also Siri, potentially worse than <laughs> 10 years ago. Uh, like dude, I have put uh, the chat GBT shortcut on my action button, and it's just like very obvious what Apple should do with Siri. Yeah. Like, Kill it and give it to ChatGPT. <laughs> they should buy OpenAI. Like, I don't know, Siri just now makes horrifying videos of people lighting things on fire. <laughs> like, it, it, Siri, show me a picture of my family, and it's like, which is? Sorry, I, I just keep I keep looking at videos generated by Sora, by OpenAI, and I'm like, this shouldn't threaten anyone because all of these videos are slightly terrifying. Yeah. Did you see the one of the guy smoking? No. Where he like magics the cigarette up in his hand and it sort of like lights on fire and then it brings it to his mouth. That's badass. It's very good. I love that. Uh, I just want to read this line from the Times piece, which again uh, is full of just cutting asides effectively. The story is really good. We'll we'll put it in the show notes. It's everyone should read it. Um, but the, at the end of it, I mean, just I'm just gonna read it to you. Apple's dead car project will be survived by its underlying technologies. <laughs> it's like oh, you, now you're just writing an obituary. Yeah. It's very good. Uh, the it company plans by many in the community. Uh, no, this is the other cutting line. In your interviews on Wednesday with the New York Times, people who worked on the project praised the decision to shutter it. That's bad. Brutal. That's bad. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot. I think it is in, it is fascinating to consider what if they built the other thing. It's fascinating to consider this decision in the context of deciding to launch the Vision Pro. Yeah. Which, by all accounts, you know, I think. Some people have given it back. There's some reports on the return rates. There's some, but like people know what it is now. No more mystery. No more hype balloon. It's a VR headset that some people really like and some people do not. And they have a long way to go for that to become a mainstream project. And it's like you decided to launch this thing that kind of doesn't work just to learn something about what you need to do. Right. And you never shipped one mid-sized crossover. I mean, I actually don't think that's that complicated. And we should move on from this. Yeah. This is... The Apple car is uh, going to loom large in my life forever, so I'm sure we'll talk about it again. But I think with the Vision Pro, I see two big differences. One is that it's a thing Apple can just do, right? Like, you can't just put a car on the road and see what happens. Uh, we've seen a bunch of that. <laughs> it's gone real bad. Yeah. And uh, Apple, to its credit, not interested in playing that kind of game. But it's also a lower-stakes thing for Apple to try to figure out in so many ways, right? It's it's an ecosystem Apple can control. It's a game it can sort of play on its own at its own pace. You don't have to be responsive to this gigantic car market that is moving in lots of directions all at the same time. Like, 
I, I had the same thought that both of these things feel like unfinished experiments, and it's interesting that one launched and the other didn't. But it also seems like <laughs> the experiment that is the Vision Pro is a lot easier to tolerate being a mess than uh, yeah, a self-driving car. <laughs> <laughs> Fair, yeah. <laughs> fair, but I, I just think there's some part of Apple that's very different, mm -hmm. right? That's like, well, let's see what happens, right? Like that's not Apple, and I think with the Vision Pro, there's like a there's a gap between how the company is talking about that product as though it is finished in the future and the reality of that product, which is, well, this is as good as it gets. Yeah, agreed. Right? Like, let's see what happens, in, like the Apple Watch. Let's see where this needs to go versus the the car, which is just ten years of where it needs to go is away. <laughs> where it needs to go. Is away. <laughs> All right, we should take a break. We're going to come back more in finance and join us and we're going to talk about what happened to the Supreme Court this week. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected, and 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. We're back. Lauren Finer's here. Welcome, Lauren. Thanks. First time on The Verge cast. Yeah. Yeah, excited about it. Lauren is our brand new policy reporter here at The Verge. Very exciting because the policy news 
is off and running already yeah. in 2024, and it's election year. So welcome. Thank you. Nope, no pressure. <laughs> uh, and when I say the Boston News is already up and going, this week there was a very big Supreme Court hearing about two bills in Texas and Florida that purport to regulate how big platforms can do content moderation. I, the listeners are not going to be surprised to know that I think both of them are blatantly constitutional because they're, they're government speech regulations at their core, and that's why they're in front of the Supreme Court. Um, tell us what's going on with that hearing, how it got there, where we are. Yeah, so these laws, each of them are a little bit different, but they're both essentially trying to get the tech platforms, you know, think of the major platforms, Meta, uh, Google, YouTube, Twitter, Twitter, or now X, um, to regulate, to enforce their policies in ways um, that would be consistent or um, not discriminate by viewpoint um, between different users. So they're basically trying to tell the platforms what they have to host on their sites. And the genesis of both of them is like the the worries about conservative censorship on social media, right? Is that is that where both of these came from? Yeah, exactly. Okay. I mean, they were enacted in 2021 after Donald Trump notably was kicked off of major platforms yeah. after uh, January 6th. Okay, so, so it was literally a direct response to yeah, that. Yeah, okay, pretty direct, but, you know, I think these censorship concerns have been existing in the Republican Party for a while, so I don't think that's necessarily the only thing, but definitely drove a lot more conversation around that. Okay. And this case seems like it was made to go to the Supreme Court. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, this has kind of always been, you've been it's saying this sort of all along, like, it was destined yeah, to I mean, be one of the ones. Not to get too into the procedural history here, but what you have is a law in Texas and a law in Florida. They're in different court systems, like they're in different circuits. So I think it was Texas got stayed and Florida got to go through, and then the appeals courts disagreed, and then that's how you get to the, uh, the Supreme Court. So like, it was like what, a who's right about what this yeah, should it's be. Like, in, this, in this corner of the country, this bill is going through, and in this corner of the country, it, the court's saying it's unconstitutional. You've got a circuit split. You've got a First Amendment problem. Clarence Thomas, would you like a word? Like, and he's and, been begging for this kind of very, case for years now. Badly. Yeah. Um, so that actually, I think, is the the piece of the puzzle. I think is the most important. These are conservative states with a conservative governors, conservative attorney generals. Mm-hmm. They're mad that Donald Trump gets kicked off the platforms, and in response, they pass these laws that, on their face, are like, "Here are some rules we think the platforms should follow." And then on, in the details are like, and here's how we would like you to moderate Facebook. Right, right. Which is just, again, straightforwardly a government speech regulation, right? But there, it's conservatives making the government speech regulation. So in the run-up to this, did anybody reckon with that? Because usually the conservatives don't like a regulation. It's yeah. my understanding of conservative <laughs> principles. Uh-huh. I mean, you've got a lot of really strange alliances or, you know, just seeing where people mm-hmm. stand on this because even NetChoice has a lot of conservatives. NetChoice is the the lobbying firm. Yeah, right. NetChoice is the trade association that represents, like, pretty much all the major platforms. Um, and they're the ones that have brought this to the Supreme Court, essentially. Um, and, you know, they have conservatives um, high up in their organization. And, you know, they feel strongly that this shouldn't be law. Um, so I think where you see people netting out on this uh, varies a lot. Um, it's you know no longer something I think that we really see falling on like conservative or liberal. It's really based on you know other forms like is it more populist or yeah. is it more just like traditional conservative? 
that's one of the things that I just think is utterly fascinating about this is these platforms are really big. They have the re- they have the revenues of a country. Like they, I think Facebook has more revenue like by GDP than like some countries. Oh yeah, uh, Google definitely does. Like these are just big, rich companies. Are global. It's hard to think about who or how you could regulate them. Mm-hmm. They don't have competition, which is weird. I, someone from YouTube is going to like jump through the wall and be like TikTok, <laughs> but like not really, you know. <laughs> right. uh, and then in particular, in the in the sort of Donald Trump moment, they all took the same action. Mm-hmm. And so it's like they're not even competing to have like we have the platform with the most Donald Trump. Like they all took the same kind of action. And it's like who would regulate them? And it's very it just to me it's particularly strange that you have conservative states who are like we're going to just pass regulations about these platforms. And it I think for most people that that's counterintuitive, but like you're saying there's mm-hmm. other ways of perceiving these laws like far more populist. Um obviously like Hating on big tech companies is very popular in Washington, yeah. D.C. Yeah. And I think you're actually seeing like another weird alignment on just like the competition question here, um, because we've seen some like more usually more liberal like um uh, competition groups saying like, hey, you know, we don't necessarily love these laws, but we're concerned about them being struck down and then what that means for just never being able to regulate the yes. tech companies. Interesting, yeah. So I think you have like another weird alignment where you see like more liberal groups saying something like that um, and kind of taking uh, the Republican AG's side, even if they don't totally agree, but just being more fearful about what would happen if, you know, these laws are struck down and what would that means for the future of tech regulation in general. There's yeah. been a lot of that over the last few years, I think, where yeah. where there are some people who are like, I want regulation, but not this. And then others who are like, we can't overregulate, but we have to regulate. <laughs> it's like, wait. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. Everybody's uh, trying to find this like maybe impossible middle ground that everyone is convinced exists. And you had a great quote in the piece you wrote leading up to the, the hearing on Monday where they were basically like, I've never seen the regulation that does what I think needs to be done, but mm-hmm. I'm still convinced that it exists or is possible. Yeah. Uh, and I think we've now spent a long time trying to figure out if it's possible, and it doesn't necessarily seem like we're any closer to it than we were, of like <laughs> this nuanced, perfect thing that addresses the right things and not the wrong things. And a lot of what they talked about in this hearing was all the wrong things that this these bills might address if they're put into law. and. I don't know. It just all feels like every time we try to do this in a small way, it all becomes sort of the size of the universe because that's what mm-hmm. happens on these platforms. And everybody just kind of like runs and hides and no one knows who they're going to end up with at the end of it. It's very strange. Yeah, I think that's what you saw a lot of the justices struggling with on Monday was just like, where does the where does this end? Like mm-hmm. if we strike down these laws, can we have no tech regulation then? Um, and I think that's what concerned them about how these cases were brought to them is like, do we have to make like a huge sweeping statement on future regulation or can we like tailor this to certain companies and or like certain uh, forms of companies that are really engaged in like expression. What was the vibe of the hearing like? I think the, the Supreme Court justices have been pretty honest over the years about not being the greatest <laughs> at understanding technology. Like I think it was Elena Kagan who said like we're not the nine foremost experts on the internet yes. not that long ago. Uh, and I just want to point out that that's bad. Yeah, agree. <laughs> okay. Like it's yes. like you should try harder. I Get Gen Z on the Supreme Court now. Let's go. I don't know. Like you're nine unelected weirdos who get to decide everything about American life. 
figure out how to use your phone, man. Yeah. Like I don't. <laughs> I agree. I'm with you. But there's still, and I think part of why we've seen the Supreme Court not take these huge stances yet is because of that. They seem sort of unwilling to make things. Yeah, make I'm big sorry. sweeping I just gestures. don't buy caveman lawyer. Like, figure it out, dude. Oh, sure. No. <laughs> Listen, this is if we litigate, is the Supreme Court a good uh, idea? How will we use <laughs> our abundant power? Like, shut up. I don't know. You're there. You're there for life. All right, yeah. sorry. But what was it what was it like in the room, like actually kind of watching them ask these questions and try to figure this out in real time? What were the vibes like? Yeah. So I wasn't in the room directly, but just listening to the arguments, I think and especially compared to last year when we had Gonzalez v. Google, which was a case about Section 230. Mm-hmm. Um, which and that, the Supreme Court ended up pretty much just punting on. They're yeah, like, ah, much. we don't know. Yeah, and <laughs> I think it was those arguments where Kagan said that quote that okay. you said. Um, and, you know, those arguments, you could tell they're really struggling with, like, how does the technology work and what are the implications? And so that was a question I had going in was, like, are we going to see the same thing this time? Um, but what... Um, First Amendment experts I talked to before the hearing told me were basically like, you know, this is really a case about the First Amendment, whereas Mm. like that was Section 230. That was a little bit more in the weeds. This court, they know the First Amendment. Um, They're pretty strong on the First Amendment. So, you know, I think there was a feeling that they would be on a little bit more stable ground there, just like knowing what they would be talking about or the sorts of questions they should be asking. Um, And yeah, it's about the technology and like how things work. But um, fundamentally, it's a First Amendment question about, mm-hmm. you know, can you regulate businesses um, around speech? So I think we saw more of that confidence in this hearing compared to the Gonzalez arguments um, where, you know, you were more able to see like they're asking questions that get to the heart of the First Amendment. Um, and yeah, so I, I think there was more of a sense that they knew what they were coming in here wanting to do. Um, but at the same time, I think they were struggling with figuring out how they were going to rule on this because the cases came to them um, as facial challenges, meaning that um, Net Choice is basically asking for kind of an all or nothing um, ruling here. Like, can you just say, like, this category of law is bad um, as opposed to saying, like, um, you know, we think that this, these laws as applied to these companies or these circumstances um, should not be allowed. Okay. And that would give them a little bit more flexibility. Um, so I think when, what you saw was the justices kind of prodding at what are the like outward bounds of what we could do here. And, you know, we heard them asking about Etsy and Uber. And it's like, what do these companies have to do with anything? Um, but I think that's where you see them trying to figure out, like, is there a way to do this where we don't preclude any regulation of the tech companies and like maybe we focus in on the companies that really are engaged in speech. What did Etsy and Uber have to do with anything? Yeah, I mean, I think basically they're saying like, you know, can this apply to like any tech company? Like, you know, Etsy has some speech in that, you know, you could leave comments on um, a, a seller, a seller's site or something like that. Or, you know, Uber, you can chat with the driver. I would just point out Etsy is one of the most dramatic websites in the entire Like it is constant <laughs> moderation. Drama. Oh, yeah. Like all the time. Uh, uh, Casey Newton, a platformer and Zoe reported out that in the middle of the Israel Palestine war, Etsy is like moderating whether or not you can sell stuff that says from the river to the sea on it. Mm. That's a straight content moderation. Like, should the government force a store to carry products it doesn't want to sell is like an open question. And so the justices being like, what about Etsy is like, 
No, dude, like Etsy is f- full of con- it's full of user generated content that the company moderates. Yeah. And it's like, of course this touches Etsy. And that I there was a, a moment in this hearing where there was like some debate about what a website is. And I had the reaction of like, well, this is why the Verge exists. Like the Supreme Court is like, what is a website? I was like, well, here we Eli go. just comes Kool Aid Manning into the room. I was like, like, I'll tell you. Our publication was founded the inside that knowing what a website is will be very important to the future of the world. Like here we are. Um, and the lawyer for NetChoice was like, we can just set aside Gmail and these other problems you've raised because this law definitely covers websites. And I was like, Gmail's a website, famously a website. Uh-huh. Like, that's how most people experience Gmail. And you just have this, like, really fine sort of uh, philosophical delineation of things that all feel like the same thing and, like, the Supreme Court inventing these categories. Mm -hmm. And it felt to me like they wanted to find a category that was like, what if we just regulate Facebook? (laughs) Right? And they kept – I believe they kept calling them the classic social media networks. Mm. As though that was like a well-defined. It's like in the antitrust thing where all of these fights end up being about market definition. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. it feels like with so much of this stuff, it's just how do you draw the boundaries around this thing that we can talk about Facebook and Reddit and X and a couple of other things without talking about any comment anyone leaves anywhere on the internet. <laughs> and it just seems it's so leaky yeah. as you get down and it just gets it just gets murkier and murkier as you get bigger. And I think the question of like, can the government tell Facebook how to moderate Facebook is again sort of on its face unconstitutional. Right. And but, that's by the way, she, uh, Lauren said facial challenge. Literally that is what that refers to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like on its face is this law unconstitutional. <laughs> right. And it not as applied or like in this place the government uses this law to do this thing that's bad. Which is the justices I think we're kind of openly hoping that maybe they could just like kick it back to the court and like do some other stuff or the case would be brought in some other way mm-hmm. based on some thing that had actually been done as opposed to this big question of like speech regulations good or bad because <laughs> they kind of want to be like sometimes good. Yeah. <laughs> right. Also, the courts stopped these laws from going into effect so early yeah. on that there's not really a super developed record for the justices to look at or, you know, to see in the real world, like, well, what sort of bad things happened under this law? or What oh, sort of good things happened? So, you know, I think some of them were grasping at like, OK, well, what do we even do with this? We don't yeah. really know how this will work out. Uh, we have some clips from the argument of various justices asking what I would call searching existential questions. Uh this bookstore's one is interesting. It's Amy Coney Barrett. What's she, what's she trying to ask here? Yeah, so Amy Coney Barrett was basically trying to get at, like, are, you know, if you're talking about how um, these platforms organize content, isn't that just a judgment? Like, isn't all organization judgment? So that's what she was trying to get at here. And she was giving the example of a bookstore as um, kind of an analogy. So we could listen to what she said there. Yeah, it's from the clip. They have to present information to a consumer in some sort of organized way and that there's um, a limited enough amount of information that the the consumer can um, absorb it. And don't all methods of organization reflect some kind of judgment? I mean, could you tell, could Florida enact a law telling bookstores that they have to put everything out by alphabetical order and that they can't organize or put some things closer to the front of the store that they think, you know, their uh, customers will want to buy? So I just want to point out, 
it is very likely that the Ron DeSantis version of Florida passes a law. I was about to say the same like, thing. Like that is totally in character for <laughs> yes. 2024 Florida. Yeah. And eventually uh, they'll ban all books that start with yeah. D, like just for some reason. Yeah. Uh, no, it's Disney. Get them out of here. Uh, by the way, DeSantis now on the record saying our don't say gay bill went too far because too many books are getting banned. Mm. And it's like, well, that's what happens, dude. Yeah. Well, that's, that's why we don't ban books in America. It's just a thing that happens. Uh, so that to me, right, is if you have any kind of algorithmic, if you have a platform with tons and tons of content, you have any kind of algorithmic filtering, mm -hmm. you, you need, you have to have it. Otherwise it'll be a fire hose of everything mm -hmm. and that will make your platform unusable. And so the, the distinction there that I, I think I struggle with, everybody struggle with is it makes sense to say you can't tell the bookstore owner how to organize the bookstore. When you get to an algorithm saying, here's some stuff that we think you will engage with, is that like an editorial First Amendment decision? I think the argument some people make is like, that's not. Mm -hmm. Like that should at least be transparent or we should at least give people some control over it or these companies are so powerful that the government does have some interest in being like, here's how those should work. But I, I, I don't know, like, it seems like when we talk about this realignment, you you mentioned uh, liberal antitrust people. That's Tim Wu, mm -hmm. who's been on the show. Um, he's the one who's like, these are just algorithms. They're not like a newspaper. Regulate away. Where did the court come down on that? You know, I think we don't know yet where they fall on it. I think, you know, through that questioning, I think we could infer that Amy Coney Barrett is a little bit skeptical of how organization is different from speech itself, because she's saying, is an organization a judgment? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we saw Florida's solicitor general who was arguing this say, like, well, you know, the organization is really different here. Um, and he later said, you know, this is, you know, we're not saying how platforms have to organize their content. But then in kind of the same breath is talking about how the law does talk about shadow banning, which is inherently organizing content. <laughs> right. So. Shadow banning is just taking the book and putting it all the way at the back of the bookstore. And right. importantly, That's, not telling the book. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and I think to your point, one of the things that it seems like is being talked about kind of underneath all of this is that it seems like what these bills want is for it to be a lot more work to ban somebody or remove content, and that it should essentially have to be a person who presses the button and then fills out a form about why they press the button. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the outcome of that would very clearly be to make it harder to do that moderation, just because you can't have an algorithm that just pulls stuff out. You essentially have to document every single time that happens. And also to make it so that it is more transparent, but sort of more arduous in the name of being more transparent. So I think they want to make it look less like a series of algorithms that can make these kinds of decisions and more like literally people curating a bookstore. And then I think you're having a very different conversation about what all of this looks like. But that's just so far away from how these systems work now. And I think one of the things that the tech companies have argued, right, is that this thing you're arguing for where there has to be like a person in a room writing a paragraph about every single post that we take off of Facebook is like preposterous and impossible, mm -hmm. right? And so it just feels like I, I don't know I don't know how to connect those ideas in my head that we're talking about algorithms, but we're also talking about a person who is like, let me tell you why I kicked your post off of Facebook. <laughs> you, were, you were mean to everybody. <laughs> yeah, the transparency thing, I think they didn't get into as much in these arguments um, as the what the, are called the must-carry provisions, mm -hmm. that platforms have to carry certain content. Um, but I think that's definitely an important element of it, too. And I think, 
you know, you could see why someone would want to know if they're kicked off a platform, why that happened or, you know, why something's not being shown to their followers as much. Um, But I think the tech companies would say, like, that's a a huge, uh, like, resource suck. Um, And also maybe it's going to make it harder for newer entrants to do do that because, you know, yeah, Facebook can tell everyone, here's why you were kicked off our platform, but a newer platform is not really going to have the resources to do that. Right. Yeah. One of the arguments that has been made kind of around all of this is that any of these regulations just entrench the huge platforms that can afford to do this kind of moderation and take on the litigation risk and pay all the lawyers. Whereas if you want to start a new thing, good luck. You're going to get sued by everyone who doesn't like a post. But this is the alignment problem again. I don't want to say alignment problem because that's an AI phrase. (laughs) This is the weird political like shuffle that's happening is like. The conservatives are like, what if we had a bunch of regulated monopolies? Right. So we'll have like four companies and they'll just like do what we say. And then a bunch of liberal academics who are like, we should have more competition are like, what if we also did some speech regulations? And it's like, what is happening? <laughs> do you hear yourselves? <laughs> yeah. Like, wait, what is going on here? <laughs> like, I don't, who are you people? Have you, did you, did you all like literally wake up in the wrong house today? Like, I don't understand what's going on. Um, I think we heard a lot of echoes of that split on sort of the right flank of the court. And it's a 6-3 court, so it's like the whole court is a right flank right now. But you have far more conservative members on that majority and less conservative members. And Samuel Alito and Clarence Thomas were like, these are common carriers. They have to carry everything. Thomas kept on bringing up Section 230 like over and over again because he hates it so much. Like he was just like sputtering and everyone's like, that has nothing to do with this. Uh, and then you heard Brett Kavanaugh say that, like, to me, like, uh, you know, I'm old. Like, the funniest things that would, like, get said in the slash dot forums when people would get banned on the slash dot forums. You're like, you're censoring me. And somebody would be like, the government, only the government can censor you. You don't have any First Amendment rights. Like, this is like old internet mm-hmm. forum poster stuff. Uh, so Alito is saying, isn't content moderation just another word for censorship? And that's very Orwellian. Like, we've, like, made this fake name for this horrible thing. And we have a clip of Kavanaugh arguing with Alito and saying, hold on, can we play that clip? I just want to follow up on Justice Alito's questions. And I think he asked a good, thought-provoking, important question and used the term Orwellian. When I think of Orwellian, I think of the state, not the (laughs) private sector, not private individuals. Um, Maybe people have different conceptions of Orwellian, but the state taking over media, like in some other countries... And in Tornillo, we made clear, the court made clear that we don't want to be that that country. <laughs> in Supreme Court parlance, that's such a sick bird. <laughs> it's like, maybe you have a different definition of Orwellian that's stupid and wrong. Have you actually read George Orwell, sir? <laughs> I was thinking starting an insult with so-and-so asked a very good, thoughtful question. It's amazing. <laughs> And it's your fellow <laughs> Supreme fundamentally Court misunderstands <laughs> everything about everything. Yeah. Uh, so that's right. There's a that's weird. Like that's on the right, and that you can see that split between should we use some speech regulations? Should we like dress them up, mm-hmm. or should we be the place with the First Amendment? Did you do you see that like indicating how it might go? Yeah, I mean, I think. I think that, you know, if you're seeing like Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett asking these questions, you know, I think you're probably going to see the liberal justices aligned in some way on those kinds of things. Um, You know, 
I think maybe we'll still see Alito and Clarence Thomas uh, out on their own. Clarence Thomas is going (laughs) to issue a one page dissent that just says, fuck Section 230, (laughs) sign Clarence, (laughs) just like in crayon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, I think that's kind of it's a somewhat good sign for net choice that, you know, they're seeing these alignments. um, But at the same time, you know, from uh, analysis I've seen after the arguments, I think, you know, net choice is maybe not going to get as sweeping of a decision as they had hoped for, um, because the justices were looking for, like, you know, where can we regulate tech companies or where could we at least leave open the option that that could happen? Um, And like, do we really have to rule in a way that says like any kind of law like this is like for sure unconstitutional? Yeah, this might be just a stupid procedural question, but is this the kind of thing where net choice can come in and say we'd like a gigantic sweeping epic decision one way or the other like this is the moment gavel down on the internet and the supreme court can say like no but we are going to do this very tiny thing in the middle that way that's pretty much exactly what the supreme court loves to do that's their favorite move okay by far like in the history of the supreme court but i mean in this case especially like net choice is very loudly saying this yeah. is gigantic and the supreme <laughs> court can be like shut up we're still going to do this tiny thing they can still do that yeah what, what okay. ways do you think they could do that Lauren? Yeah. um, From what I've seen, it it seems like they could probably just, you know, remand this to the lower courts and say, like, you need to develop a fuller record or, you know, just kind of give more guidance on, you know, how you should be deciding this. Um, So, yeah, they can they can throw it back to the lower courts and just, you know, kind of or carve out some middle path of how they want to decide this. Yeah. The justices did in the oral arguments ask the lawyers for both sides several times. How would you write this opinion? Like just straight up. Like, what what, what would you do? <laughs> Here's my laptop. You do it. Because <laughs> it is such a fundamentally complicated thing. Right. In particular, two state attorneys general, when you're like, actually write the rule and enforce it, it's pretty easy to trip them up. And the justices were able to trip them up over and over again. For example, let me come back to noted forum poster Brett Kavanaugh. <laughs> <laughs> that man is definitely like a poster in his head. Oh, yeah. You can feel it. Oh, yeah. Uh, there was a great Daily Beast headline that was like, God help us, Brett Kavanaugh might save the First Amendment. Like, that's, <laughs> that's his vibe. Um, literally, he's reminding them that the First Amendment is about the government. Let me play that clip. In your opening remarks, you said the design of the First Amendment is to prevent suppression of speech, end quote. And you left out what I understand to be three key words in the First Amendment uh, or to describe the First Amendment by the government. Do you agree by the government is what the First Amendment is targeting? I do agree with that, Your Honor, but I don't agree that there is no First Amendment interest in allowing the people's representatives to promote the free exchange of ideas. Another sick burn by Kavanaugh, though. <laughs> like, seriously, as, as like Supreme Court... Shadiness goes like he's tearing it up. Yeah, he's tearing it up. He's just like, what are you doing, man? And that's again, that's on the right. Like, Mm -hmm. I I think you would expect these kinds of questions from the three liberal justices. They're not obviously as motivated by the banning of Donald Trump as some of the conservative justices. And then Kavanaugh is just like, hold up, like by the government, like that's the thing, right? And this argument in response that he got, which is the people's representatives, like our lawmakers, have some. They should pass laws that allow for the free exchange of ideas mm-hmm. is like kind of a new argument, mm. right? Like the, the idea that we need government speech regulations so that Facebook doesn't suppress – like that's a winding path of logic 
that I think is like a hard sell. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it seems like no one has figured out how to do this in a clean way, how to pass speech laws for the Internet that don't run afoul of the First Amendment, but do get the sort of outcomes that people want on the Internet. Yeah. Um, So, I, I mean, I don't really know what the answer will be if there is a way to do that. Yeah. But this is such a new problem, right? I mean, I think... They they talked a lot about newspapers in this case. I think one of the one of the big open questions is can you regulate Facebook like you would regulate a newspaper? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know what the answer will be, but it seems like no, <laughs> for lots of reasons. But one of them is that like it, imagine if every single person on earth got the same newspaper. Like maybe we would think about it differently. Mm-hmm. And that is fundamentally what something like Facebook is. Uh, and it and then and I guess this is where my favorite quote from the whole thing was it was it Alito that asked how much YouTube would weigh if it was a newspaper? Oh, I forget who it was. I think it was Alito. I could be wrong, but one of them asked if YouTube was a newspaper, how much would it weigh? Which is on its face a totally insane question, but actually kind of in context makes sense because the question is like, can we talk about these new things in the way that we talked about these old things? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't the know. The answer, by the way, is 50,000 pounds. That's how much YouTube would weigh? <laughs> the Washington Post literally has a headline. Oh. Here's a headline. Here's how much a YouTube newspaper would weigh, Justice Alito. That seems low. And they, they calculated it at uh, huh. 50,000 pounds. Seems low. One billion words of daily YouTube output. Mm. 50,000 pounds. That's the answer. I mean, fair <laughs> enough. They're asked an answer, Justice Alito. It's a big newspaper. It's a so long article. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's a very long Okay. <laughs> but no, but I think that's that's kind of been the central question of a lot of these things, right? Is can we talk about these platforms in the way that we've talked about anything else before them? And nobody seems yeah. to know the answer to that even. Like what is the precedent we're looking at here? It's, nobody quite knows. Yeah, I, I think that was kind of a question with the, you know, concept of editorial discretion and, you know, talking about a, a case that came before that looked at the Miami Herald and can they be compelled to print an op-ed? Um, and, you know, on the one hand, you could see the similarities to the Miami Herald and Facebook. On the other hand, you might think, like, does what Facebook's doing, is that really editorial discretion? There's so much information. Like, they're not really parsing through all of it. There's just certain things that are flagged or certain things they're looking at. It's, you know, but does that constitute having, like, an editorial vision? Yeah. And I think we can confidently say that Facebook does not have an editorial vision. <laughs> it's just just people yelling at each other in neighborhoods in Facebook Marketplace. Yeah. Those, that's, those but that's not th- what Facebook is there for, right? Like, yeah. that's not... They they all at various points have tried to do editorial things and it mostly goes quite badly. <laughs> yeah, um, we should wrap this up. We don't know what's going to happen. We're expecting an answer in June. Yeah, probably in June or before then. The one thing that I that didn't come up that I I hope someone mentions to the Supreme Court justices is that there is actually quite a bit of competition. Like Donald Trump owns a social network. His reaction to being kicked off the platforms was to start his own platform. Mm-hmm. If you would like to hear from Donald Trump, you his tweets are available to you. Right? And like there are the, TikTok does exist and for, for whatever our government currently wants to think about TikTok, it certainly exists right yeah. now. And uh, that to me is like well if you want the platforms with looser rules, you you can go get them. Mm-hmm. They're available to you. And that should be to me it seems like that's the solution. 
and I think the thing that is probably frustrating to a bunch of folks is that to build a healthy business with happy customers, you usually have to ban the assholes. Like that's just how it goes, right? But I don't think YouTube is lacking for conservative voices. I don't think Facebook is lacking for conservative voices. But I, but it doesn't seem like it seems like the it seems like our government at every level, the Supreme Court, Congress, whatever, all these hearings constantly forget that many other platforms exist. And sometimes they forget that anything but Twitter exists, right? They're like, yeah. ask Mark Zuckerberg about Twitter. Do you see any hint of like a more expansive scope? Is that why they were talking about Uber and Etsy so much, or was that just confusion? I think that's a little bit different, but I think on the question of competition, you know, it makes me think about Ken Buck, the Republican representative who's mm-hmm. actually on his way out of Congress. Um, you know, he was a big champion of new antitrust laws for mm-hmm. the tech companies. Um, and he did think about it as like, you know what? I do care about censorship on the internet, but I think the way to fix that is to have more competition on the internet, to have more platforms. Um, And so he dealt, he looked at that question from the lens of competition. But, you know, notably, he's leaving Congress um, and, you know, his view isn't shared by maybe the majority of Republicans. I think there is a contingent that does feel like competition might be the answer, um, but there hasn't been enough brought on board to make these antitrust reforms um, be able to pass in the House um, or the Senate yet. Um, so I think, you know, there is there are like seedlings of that thought, mm-hmm. but I don't know how far that's gotten us yet. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's why all of the stuff happening simultaneously with these cases and the antitrust cases is so interesting because they so directly speak to each other yeah. for exactly what you're talking about. Like the the antitrust cases are about the competition that would theoretically solve some of these problems. And by solving some of these problems in other ways with moderation and things like that, we're actually changing the way that the competitive landscape is going to look on the internet. And so these things are just going to keep spinning around each other, it seems like, for a long time until somebody plants some kind of regulatory or, you know, I don't know, legal yeah. flag, mm-hmm. and then a lot of things are going to start to fall out, it seems like. And what yeah. I wonder for you before we go is, does this feel like it has a chance to be the moment the Supreme Court sort of plants a flag in some way or another? I think Clarence Thomas in particular has been waiting for his chance <laughs> for so long now to have strong, loud, aggressive feelings about this in official paperwork. Uh, and I think there, there was some indication that this had the chance to be a moment for the Supreme Court to really have a strong opinion where it has been so wishy-washy in other cases. Coming out of the hearing on Monday, do you have any sense leaning one way or the other about whether this is going to end up being kind of small or big? I think, you know, if they take some sort of middle route I still think even that will be pretty significant because anything that says, you know, these kinds of tech platforms are allowed to um, decide what they carry on their platforms. That's a big deal um, to have that affirmed by the Supreme Court if that's what happens. Um, And, you know, at the same time, if the court says, you know, we're going to deal with this little piece of it, but we're not going to deal with these other things. um, I think that's also a big deal because they're saying, hey, we could still regulate the platforms in these other ways, or we're at least leaving open the possibility that there's a constitutional law here that could be created. And, you know, we'll see that go up to the Supreme Court at some point, too, probably. (laughs) But... (laughs) At least, you know, we have a better we'll have a better sense of what's in the realm of possibility or not. Yeah, it does seem like we're due for one of these a year 
yeah. for the rest of our lives. <laughs> just Clarence Thomas being like, <laughs> Section 230, get out of my face. He hates it so much. He's given speeches about how much he hates it. Yeah. And it's, oh, it's actually, like many things with Clarence Thomas, unclear why. That would, that's not like a fully reasoned argument. All right. Uh, we'll be 30 extra minutes of Duncan and Clarence Thomas in a bonus episode. That'll be coming up. <laughs> totally kidding. Uh, we got to take a break, but Lauren's going to stick around. We got a lightning round. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back. 30 minutes by Clary Toms. Here we go. <laughs> Does anybody ever call him Clary Toms? Clary Toms. I think that's the last thing you do when the, you call him Clary Toms. Uh, look, I am very proud to be American. And I think one of the most American things you can do is make relentless fun of the Supreme Court. <laughs> They're a bunch of weirdos. And they'll never see it because they don't know how to use their phones. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't matter who they are, liberal, conservative. Just make fun of them. Just like, what, what are you nerds doing? <laughs> it's great. That's my First Amendment right. I love that. Bring it, Clary. All right. <laughs> Vote Patel. That's my whole platform. I will, I will roast these nerds every day of my term as your president. It's beautiful. Vote Patel. <laughs> the nag platform. <laughs> Uh, it was. You should go listen to the audio of the hearing. It's it's good. It's important. I just think it's funny to make fun of nerds. Okay, uh, cut that part out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, lightning round. There's actually a lot in this lightning round. Yeah, Lauren, you're our guest. You want to go first? Sure. Um, yeah. So I chose the story about uh, Google CEO saying that the Gemini AI diversity uh, mishap was completely unacceptable. Um, so I, I thought this was an interesting story because it's basically if you hadn't seen um, Google's Gemini generated racially diverse Nazis, yeah, which uh, very good. is uh, kind of offensive for strange reasons. Um, <laughs> I just want to say we talked about this on. Last week's show for like 45 minutes, and that is such a better summation than yeah. anything else we did, which is strange for various reasons. <laughs> it's so good. It Sorry. is, I will say, it is, it's also it's okay to point out 
It is hilarious. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It is the funniest shit in the entire world. It, the fact that it happened is funny. The response was yeah. funny. The fact that it went all the way up to Sundar Pichai having to like send a long internal memo the about fact it that ben is Thompson funny. Ben Thompson sent out a newsletter that's like, Sundar should be fired yeah. because of the black pope that he made. <laughs> it's like, dude, everybody just like, just turn the knobs down. Yeah. All of it's funny. Like, yeah. open, some sm very smart people being the dumbest. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, I mean, I think it is, it's a amusing way that this happened. It also could have happened in a way less amusing way. So mm -hmm. I think we're fortunate that it's something that's funny to talk about. But I think Sundar Pichai is clearly seeing this as like, you know, this could have been way worse. And like, we can't keep having these errors. And it just reminds me how like, you know, OpenAI releasing ChatGPT when it did just like spurred all of these companies like racing to put out their own, uh, you know, competitors. And like here we are with this like kind of I don't know, maybe this was a product of being rushed and, you know, having something really strange and like uncomfortable happening as a result. And, you know, maybe this is some kind of reset for Google thinking. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah. It, do you remember that phase where Mark Zuckerberg was just reflexively apologizing for everything. Yeah. There were, there was like a two year phase where anytime anything happened on the internet, Zuck would like do a video in which he like very earnestly apologized. That to me feels like the the Sundar Pichai era we're heading into right now. <laughs> where he's just like, whatever is happening, I'm so sorry. We'll, we're doing our best. I don't I don't understand how we got here or what weird thing we put into Gemini to make it do this, but I'm so sorry. Oh, they know. And we'll do better. They were like robot, be less racist. Yeah. And the robot was like, so not racist that we're racist again. <laughs> like, that's what we're doing. Uh, I mean, this is to me, every part of this is funny. So, <laughs> right, like, Google famously did not release its chat bots because they were afraid of bad outcomes and misalignment and bad things happening. OpenAI, as you point out, released it. Google gets kicked in the butt. They start releasing things left and right. And then you have an entire movement of people called effective accelerationists who are like, no rules. Like, all the yeah. AI we can, like, do it. And they're the people who are like, Google went too fast here. Their AI is too woke. And it's like, this is the thing you want. <laughs> the thing you want is but, to just like, not put like it that. Like, but not with so many black people. And it's like, you guys should shut up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, you should stop saying what you're saying. It's very revealing because the problem with the other AI is it only made white people and you were cool with that. <laughs> and now it's like, well, we, progress now, or we, something. now you're like the AI that only makes black people is like bad. It's like, you should shut up. Like yeah. you should, you should point out to Google that, uh, that like a racially diverse picture of Nazis is very funny and probably not the intended outcome. And then you should stop talking about how mad you are. About it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just I just think you should be quiet. And also, no one is out here uh, with any actual good ideas about what is supposed to happen in any of these cases. Yeah. They're like, I want it to be perfectly historically accurate and also help me dream up new things and create things that no human could ever come up with. And it's like, well, what? Yeah. It kind of just makes you think like, okay, maybe this is a really human thing. Like, how do you program? Like, we want diversity, but not in like historically accurate depictions of Nazis. Like, do you think there's a whiteboard at Google <laughs> that's just like labeled the Hamilton conundrum? <laughs> you know, it's like, should Lynn Manuel be able to use Gemini to make Hamilton too? Well, do you remember yeah. that drill tweet from a million years ago where he's like? Turning a huge dial that says racism and looking at and looking at the crowd like I'm a contestant on the prizes, right? Like that's what Sundar Pichai is doing. It's very good. That's where we are. Uh, tr truly, every part of this is funny. I can't get and I just I'm, I 
I beg you, if you're like, what I'm mad about is the computer made drawings of black people, just shut up. I, it, it will go better for you over yeah. time. Well, and also to your point about Google being forced to catch up on all of this stuff, you've got to assume Sundar Pichai is also sitting in meetings going, this is why we did this slowly, yeah. you idiots. Mm-hmm. Like, this, Google has had this technology forever. Like and yeah. and Google loves to remind you that like oh what's the T in GPT like we did that that's, yeah. that's a Google <laughs> thing that we did it's Transformers we made them and Google was taking it very slowly and then OpenAI just like yoloed its way onto the internet and now here we are and so like and it, like Mark Zuckerberg made the heel turn to being like I don't care I just make glasses now like Sundar's next move is just to be like yeah. Morons, this is what you wanted. <laughs> Welcome to the world you asked for. It might be amazing. It might be the best move Sundar ever did. That's what was I'm like, saying. Here's what you wanted, morons. Yeah. Like, totally out of character. <laughs> I can't even imagine him saying the word morons. <laughs> I'm going to go get it like an AI voice cloner. <laughs> it's just, it'll just be Sundar issuing like devastating burns to people. <laughs> He's a very polite man. We're working to get him on decoder, and I hope that we didn't just uh, kill that. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I'll see, uh, that whole episode of Decoder will be like, "Will you say the word more honestly?" <laughs> <laughs> Just get him to say each phoneme, and then we can put it together, and he'll say yeah. it. Uh, okay, I've got a lightning round. I forgot to mention the lightning round is sponsored this week. Oh yeah, uh, but not for money, because no one is that dumb. <laughs> if you would like to pay us money, uh, this is the only time I will say the name of a sponsor. I will sell my integrity if you sponsor the lightning round for money. But we're not, we didn't take money this week. We took a, an excellent, hilarious tip from our friend Christopher, who is the, this week's sponsored lighting round, who said, how did you miss this smeg news, which is an incredible <laughs> sentence. My uh, smeg Google alerts really letting me down. <laughs> if you will recall, smeg is a maker of uh, quirky refrigerators. You know, the retro refrigerator company. <laughs> As you do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they have a collaboration with Fiat. They've made a Fiat 500. With a refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> what? That's true. It's the, it's the, uh, the Smeg 500. Um, the on, Smeg the, 500. on the Smeg website, uh, here's the first line. What is a fridge doing underneath the bonnet of a Fiat 500? <laughs> Smeg and Fiat merge form and function to create an extraordinary item for the Fiat 500 design collection because a refrigerator is not just an electrical appliance and a bonnet is not just a car part. Hell yeah. This seems like an April Fool's joke. Uh, then there's a picture <laughs> yes. of a Fiat 500, and it says, an iconic place for food with an arrow pointing to the trunk of the car. <laughs> this is all true. I would like to make t-shirts that have just on the stomach the phrase, an iconic place for food. <laughs> These two made in Italy brands had already met in the 1950s. It's like a meat cute. Aw. I mean, like, they've been trying to get a fridge The, the Smeg 500 time. sounds like, like the last NASCAR race you've, that ever happens. Yeah. Uh, you win a fridge at the end. For me, uh, Vittorio, that, this keeps going, by the way. <laughs> there's, there's a lot here. Uh, thank, thank you, Christopher, again, for sponsoring Indeed. Lightning Round with, with this link. Uh, CEO of Smeg, Vittorio uh, Bertazzani, he said, For me, creating the Smeg 500 was above all a matter of personal honor. Seriously? It's <laughs> a quote, man. This is, this is about my family's legacy. <laughs> Wait, I, I, you're not 
that's you said that as a joke. That is the rest of the quote. <laughs> Are you serious? I strongly <laughs> I strongly believe in this project that pays tribute to the memory of my grandfather when he founded Smeg after the Second World War. One of his first collaborations was creating refrigerators with Fiat. Incredible. <laughs> It's good. It's just the whole uh, whatever. We'll link to it. Thank you, Christopher, for like, sponsoring the lightning round with the Smeg 500. No thanks to Smeg, who paid us no money for this. Yeah. <laughs> All right, David, what's yours? <laughs> I don't know anymore. Uh, <laughs> mine is so MWC, the Mobile World yeah. Congress in Barcelona. Barcelona. Barcelona uh, was this week. Uh, surprisingly newsy, MWC. Yeah. Uh, John Porter and Allison Johnson are on our team. We're going to have them on Tuesday's show to give us the whole rundown. But the the most personally exciting thing that happened was. We actually got like a first-person demo of the Humane AI pin, the mysterious gadget that I'm only yeah. I'm like ninety percent it's real. Like it's I'm real not now. Sam Sheffer is like making videos on the streets of New York with it. Sam, by the way, I keep you show it to me. Bring it, bring it over. Yeah, come on the show, Sam. <laughs> We'd love to have you back. The people need it. Uh, but Allison got a demo. She got to see some of it work and had a really interesting experience with it. Like. The thing about this pin, I'm desperate to actually test this thing out because it seems like they did a lot of cool technology to it. Yeah. Like the projector thing seems to work. Uh, she had it take a picture and it identified her as a person with a verge lanyard and all the other stuff in the background. Like, seriously impressive technology going in here. Uh, but Allison also sort of landed on the question that I think a lot of us have been asking about this device is like, what on earth is any of this for? Yeah. Like you made a neat thing that does some of the stuff that you said it was going to do. It also was super slow and I think overheated on the show floor. Very good. That's like conference demo stuff, whatever. I'll leave that alone. But she kind of got to the end and was like, why? <laughs> why is this? <laughs> yeah. It does seem so. Our, our, you can watch a video of it, of that demo, while the places we post videos. Yeah, I think I saw it on our TikTok. Yeah. It's a Find a yeah. scrolly video place and look for the first. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it's night. She asked a question. 19 seconds go by. That's tough. The oh. That's brutal. <laughs> that's, that's tough. That's not good. Uh, in which she like made small talk with the person who was and then, and then, and then it started talking and interrupted. Yeah. And it was like, oh, it's doing <laughs> It's like, I don't know about this. Yeah. She did say, and I think this is a lesson to everyone, she's like, this gadget would be so much cooler if this company wasn't so overbearingly serious about itself. Mm. Right? Yeah. Like if you're like, this will change the nature of culture. And it's like, you made a laser. That says like your name. I kind of right. what well, what's funny is like I think there's been this interesting thing now where we have the the Rabbit R1 and we have the Humane AI pin, and they are very much like racing each other to be kind of the nifty yeah. AI gadget that everybody's excited about. Uh, Rabbit's CEO is just like nakedly out there trying to beat Humane to market, which I think is so funny. Yeah. Uh, but they've just played this so differently, right? Where where Jesse, the CEO of Rabbit, has been out there basically being like, this is like a silly, fun thing that we made. We think it's cool. Let's see what happens. Maybe this will be the future. And you're right. And Humane is out here being like, we have changed the paradigm of your life. Yeah. And they're, they I, just like seem sad in a room together. And it's like, what <laughs> what what is happening? I what feel like doing? they, everyone is doing a Steve Jobs impression, but they never watched any Steve Jobs videos. Yes. Do you mean like yes. it's like they're doing an impression of who was it, it was Fastbender Steve Jobs who was like very uh-huh. like very serious all the time and like very intense and like the real Steve Jobs was like kind of a goofball. Yeah, if you go back and watch, I went back for some reason not that long ago and watched his first iPad reveal. Yeah, it's the most casual, 
relaxed, like man sitting on a chair using yeah. a web browser is the whole vibe of the thing. And it was, yeah, he would make jokes. He was yeah. funny. He was silly. Like that was their whole vibe. Yeah. And now everybody remembers him as this like dictator presenter. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> no, it's like he would get on stage like, so these are our competitors prize. They fucking suck. <laughs> yeah, right. huh? Look at this piece of shit. <laughs> like, here's what I made. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Right. And like every like the humane I don't know. There's something that's like everyone's doing an impression of the wrong thing. Even Apple kind of is increasingly getting yeah. serious in in a way that feels kind of unjobsy. Yeah. And I think it's they're doing an impression of those like the Johnny Ive design videos because Johnny didn't like to be on stage. Yeah. So they would make these videos and be like, what it's made plastic inside of an It's very beautiful. <laughs> you know, it's like, what, uh-huh. what are you doing? And it's like, that didn't work. What worked was the other guy who was yeah. like, you know, I love his records. Now I put a thousand of them in your pocket, huh? <laughs> <laughs> he pulled the MacBook Air out of a sleeve. It was sick. But anyway, so the Humane pin is supposed to ship, I think, at the end of March is the last thing that we've heard uh, that has slipped a little, but is close enough that. I think we're going to get these things for real soon. Uh, I bought one. I'm very excited about it. I can't believe you bought one. I have so many questions about why I spent $700 on a human AI <laughs> pin. <laughs> but uh, I am fascinated by this thing. And yeah. every every little step I get towards being able to make a phone call with a projector, When you kick all your kid it. out of the house at 18 and be like, I don't have money for college, I hope you hand them the human <laughs> AI pin. <laughs> I'll frame it. Be like, this is your gift. <laughs> this is for you in lieu of a college education. Right. This thing, it takes Sell 19- this, my son, <laughs> and go on your way. This thing will describe with medium accuracy what you are currently looking at. 19 seconds later. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, I'm the person wearing the Verge Lanyard. That's me. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. All right, Neil, what's yours? Uh, I think I... I'm going to pick two. I'm going to pick two. I'm sorry. I'm going to pick two. I'm shocked. Uh, one, I'm, I'm going to start with the fun one. Okay. Okay. As you all know, Lauren doesn't know. As David knows, Lauren, you're going to find out. I have one dream as editor-in-chief of The Verge, which is for David to file a story to me and for me to mark it up with a red pen. <laughs> That's all I want. Very old school. Very old school. I also would love a glass-walled conference room where we print out the layout of the magazine and I just mm. move the pages around. Ugh. We don't <laughs> have a print magazine, so that dream has long since been... I just had to let it go. You know, so you just, I'm never going to play professional basketball. I'm never going to move pages of a print magazine around a glass-walled conference room. The New York Mag people have a conference room in this office. Like, stare at it all the time. They're just moving pages. Do you around. ever go just move pages around <laughs> just to see <laughs> if they notice? Blow up the magazine. Yeah. Uh, the red pen thing. Now, one thing I could do is I could have David print out his Google Docs and circle them. <laughs> Sadly, we don't live in the same place. So that's not the reason. Time, <laughs> just to be clear, that's not the reason I don't know about that. <laughs> so every time a new stylus gadget comes out, I'm like, is this is this it? Is this the thing that will enable me to like circle stuff? Mm. That's all I want. Mm-hmm. And in particular, circle David's copy in a red pen. <laughs> the answer for a decade now has been no. We've tried almost every stylus gadget in this way, and they don't work. Google just released an update to Android at MWC where Google Docs on an Android tablet, it's called Project Inkwell, you can now mark up with a pen. That's very exciting. The problem is that this requires you to have an Android tablet. Mm. It also requires David to file this copy to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, you know. Challenging problem. We're getting there. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just thrilled about this. Oh, yeah. We're getting an Android tablet. We're going to demo this on the show. It's going to happen. I'm excited about I it. I can't look. I can't see Liam right now. I imagine he's 
vigorously agreeing with me that we're going to do a demo that's, of me that's, that is what's circling things live on the Vergecast. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's all I want. This is my dream. That's we're going to do it. I would say, um, based on the history of Google Docs being good at things, <laughs> I would not get your hopes super high, but I believe in this dream for you, and I want you to have uh, it. If you could just add up the number of things that have to be good for this to go mm-hmm. well. Android tablets, <laughs> conceptually. The Google Docs app. <laughs> On the Android tablet. Uh-huh. Uh, Android tablet stylus. Actually, some of the Samsung styluses are pretty good. Yeah, they're getting, they're getting there. But does the S Pen support Google Docs markup on Android. It's okay. You just import it into Samsung's <laughs> proprietary document viewer and then export it it's out. It's such a small dream. Just give it to me. Just figure it out. <laughs> Take all that energy. Shut down Gemini. Put all those engineers on a circle problem. Be like, we'll do the Hamilton conundrum another day. So maybe now that the Apple car's gone, everybody's working on generative <laughs> AI highlights. This could be you. What's your other one? Uh, it's, like, it's TikTok. We got to talk about TikTok. We, we should talk about TikTok. So they're in a big fight. Uh, I believe tomorrow, as you're listening to this, is the drop dead deadline. Mm. So you and Universal Music Group, which has Taylor Swift, Usher, everybody you can think of, Justin Bieber, I believe. I looked at David very knowingly. It's like your favorite. I can, I can confirm. Yeah. You started, Harry Styles, Harry, many others. Uh, David, the lead of one of David's stories this week was Justin Bieber. So oh. it was good stuff. <laughs> With a photo of Justin Bieber. I want to point out what I'm here for. Yeah. David put a lot of the Beeb I spent on the Verge.com this week. 90 full minutes on Getty Images looking at pictures of Justin Bieber in public. It's the best uh, thing I did all week. It's a good story. Anyway, uh, Universal owned all the biggest artists you can think of. They're going to fight with TikTok over music licensing. They say TikTok is a bully. They don't want to pay the higher rates. There was a first date. That date came. The music went away. The poor woman on TikTok who has all the jobs. Her, her sound is gone. Oh, no. And so she's just making sad, like increasingly sad TikToks oh. about her sound being gone. Oh, that's awful. <laughs> There's like a lot of this happening on the platform. Yeah. Uh, and tomorrow, I believe, the, the, the time that you are currently listening to this, Friday, mm-hmm. that's what it's called. There you go. Uh, is the drop dead date when the rest of it goes. And TikTok has already started putting, pulling not just Universal's like own music. But anybody who has a publishing deal with Universal, some of the songwriters that are associated with Universal, so even more music is coming off the platform, which I think TikTok thinks it has the leverage. Which is wild. I mean, one of the stats that I read, and I think a lot of this is really fuzzy, so who knows, Mm -hmm. but one of the stats that I read is I think it was something like 30% of the songs but 80% of the videos with music would suddenly go silent. Like, that's a huge number. That's just most of TikTok. If you take Taylor Swift off of TikTok, that's not great. Yeah. And I think what TikTok is saying is like, we seem to be fine. Hmm. And I, I don't know if that's true. There are no numbers. I, I, we were trying to do some more reporting on it. Um, but One it, thing I've seen that's been really interesting the last few days has been a bunch of up-and-coming artists who now can't promote their own songs on TikTok. Yep. Uh, basically, like, A, having to figure out a new thing to do, and B, kind of pleading with their audience, like, Keep watching my stuff. Follow me. Like it so that it stays on your For You page. Because if I can't put my song on it and you're not following me, the algorithm is not going to serve stuff. And this is a thing artists have said for forever is that like when they just make a thing where they talk, it doesn't do as well. So they do covers of well-known songs so that they get put into that part of the algorithm or they do their own songs that people like so they get served to their fans. But if it's just them talking to camera... That doesn't do as well. Like just historically, that is a thing I've seen a bunch of artists say on TikTok. And now it's like if you're an up and coming artist, the place where people find you is TikTok. And so I think it's it's just creating this interesting. And that's TikTok's leverage, right? That's what they're basically right. saying. Um, but Universal then Universal's is like, leverage is 
Taylor Swift. Yeah. <laughs> and and most of the rest of the music people want to listen to and do stuff. But it's like the, that spectrum is going to affect people in so many messy ways. Yeah. Also, though, like not having music on so many TikToks makes TikTok like kind of unusable. Yeah, <laughs> that's totally been my experience now. Yeah. Like it's it's like one out of every two videos is just awkwardly quiet. And it turns yeah. out watching people do TikTok dances with no music is uncomfortable. Like yeah. it's not a good sign. And it takes you a couple seconds to register that like there's <laughs> yeah. no music. It's not that like your volume's yeah, too yeah, low. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. I totally agree. I'm surprised that, you know, YouTube has a much healthier relationship with the Universal. Like, Universal is like, we're very mad about fake Drake and AI. And YouTube is like, we made some stuff for you. Like, we have a council about AI. Like, I'm surprised that YouTube is not doing more to promote shorts in this moment mm-hmm. and to say, like, all these creators come over here because that that is right now their competitive advantage is yeah. they have access to all this music. Yeah, they've been kind of quietly saying things like, you know, we continue to be a good partner to the music industry and stuff like that. But it is weird that like Lior Cohen, who runs YouTube Music, is not out there being like, "You want music? We have all the music." <laughs> like this is you're kind of right. This is yeah. sort of YouTube's best it's shot. Like, Instagram has the correct deals people. with the industry. Yeah, they're not they're not pushing it. It's, I, I think Universal is basically like, all right, like we just won't be on TikTok. That'll be the end of that. And like we have to figure out a new way to promote artists. But guess what we do? We're a record label. Yeah. That's the, there have been ways before. That's historically yeah. how we provide value to the artists. <laughs> yeah. uh, but we'll see. I, tomorrow I think will be an interesting day because I, I think it either gets solved or it, if they pull out even more, I think it actually drags on for quite a bit longer. I think you're probably right. All right. Do you have another one or should we just read? We should just get out of here. We should get out of here? You don't want to talk about Wendy's dynamic search pricing? No, they <laughs> said they weren't going to do it. Uh, all right. We've gone over as always. Lauren, thank you so much for joining the broadcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, really fun. We'll have to have you back soon. Would love to. Whenever Clary Tom's issues his decision. It's going to be a mega chill policy year, so we we probably won't have much to talk about, I don't think. Uh, It'll be great. All right. That's it. Alex will be back next week. That's for Chest. Rock and roll. And that's it for the Vergecast this week. Hey, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 866-VERGE-11. The Vergecast is a production of The Verge and Vox Media Podcast Network. Our show is produced by Andrew Marino and Liam James. That's it. We'll see you next week. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise Flagship Fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise Flagship Fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.